every last one of you. Uh, growing a little bit. We got three sections of chairs now. That's good. And so, man, it's, uh, it's awesome to be here. Matt, <clears throat> Matt didn't ask me directly. He did one of those indirect, hey, do you know anybody that I could get to speak tomorrow? And I was like, well, Matt's like, well, if I have to. So I was like, you're at the end of the rope. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, Thanksgiving was good, yes. Uh, we drove a lot. We put about 20,000 miles on our car this weekend. Um, drove a lot, but it's worth it, right? Um, I love family. I love um, eating turkey. Um, but I, I love the fact that um, Thanksgiving um, is about God's glory. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you want to um, go ahead and open up your Bible to Jude, it's, it always gets missed. It's right before Revelation. In most Bibles, it's about one page. Um, but we're going to be looking at the last two verses of Jude, Jude 24 and 25. And uh, this morning, is this bad? Do we want to do something else? We good? No? Okay. I love you, Brett. You're a good man. So, Jude 24, 25 this is where we're going to be. Um, there's, nobody knows exactly who Jude was. Um, it's kind of an obscure little book. Um, some thinks he was an acquaintance, uh, acquaintance of Paul. Some people think that um, because uh, in verse 1, or, yeah, verse 1, he says, uh, Jude, servant of Christ, brother of James. A lot of the, the, the consensus is, is this was um, Jesus' stepbrother. Because um, James, the only James we really know is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. And so um, that's who we think uh, Jude is. So possibly this is another um, one of Jesus' bros. So uh, Jude, um, popular song by the Beatles, Hey Jude. Um, but this is not that Jude. Um, and so it's believed to be written somewhere around the year 65. And um, the, the main purpose of this little book um, was to battle against false teachers. We see this problem in the um, New Testament. Um, there's a lot of crazy people out there. And they want to say, I have the truth. Um, and, and Jude's saying, no, Jesus is the truth. And so that's what it's about. Let's, let's read these two verses. They're going to be up on the screen because... Um, text I'm reading out may be a little different than what you have, and, and so here it is. Jude 24, 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Um, God, this morning, um, I confess that I like taking the glory from you. Um, it's, it's deep within me. It's a problem that I have to be um, the center of attention, to try to make myself known um, and not you. So as we look at this text this morning um, about your glory, and we talk about your glory, um, just show us how worthy you are, how wonderful you are, that your glory um, is to be known, is what we're to live for, and is to be shown. We thank you. It's your name we pray. 
Amen. Um, when I was a little kid, I can remember um, one evening lying in the back seat of my parents' car, um, crying after... Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist, and we had things called RAs. Anybody remember RAs? It's like uh, Baptist Boy Scouts. Um, that's what we called it. We, you got patches and sashes. And, but my favorite thing was the pine derby races. You literally got a block of pine, and you made a car out of it, right? I was pumped. I mean, I had gold paint. I had the number 52 decal, which was my number. This thing looked like a gold bullet. It was awesome. Me and my dad made it, sanded it down. It was cool. But I was crying because it wasn't as cool as I thought it was because I lost. And, yes, I got the sympathy ribbon. HM, honorable mention, big-time loser, you didn't win anything, your car really sucked, here you go. That's what I got. But in my mind, I thought my car was the coolest, I thought it was the baddest, I thought it was the fastest, even though it didn't win a race. I thought it was the stuff, and I thought, man, I should get more glory than this. I put time into this, put effort into this, it was a father-son activity, and I, I need more glory. It's a big problem. Even at the uh, the age of eight or nine years old, I was worried about glory. I was worried about getting what I thought was due me. We, We all have that problem. We are a people who love to take and get glory any way we can, even when we're not worthy. That's a problem. Because we are sinful people, we rely on that. We, 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 just, we, we cling to the fact that if somebody pats me on the back or if my name is mentioned at church or if, uh, you know, at school, I remember at school, man, I just longed to get stars, right? Gold stars, not black X's. Um, but somehow the X's always got more X's. Um, I'm in therapy for that. But this morning... I really want us to look through this short book, this short passage um, about the the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and there's three things that we're going to look at this morning um, that we can tell from this passage. Number one, God keeps us. Number two, God presents us. And and number three, and the most important, and we're really going to hit it home, is that God is glorious. So let's look at uh, what I call 24A. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, stop. That's 24A, okay? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. In your Bible, it says fall, to keep you from falling. This tells us that, that, that Jesus is there for our good. He, he's there to help us. He's there to protect us. He's there to keep us from stumbling, but he's also there to pull us back because if we stumble, he's there to catch us. This is a good thing. Jude is just very upfront. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Let's, I just really want to look at that. The, the, this is a simple sentence, but it's, it's, there's so much to unpack in it. First of all, it tells us we will stumble. We're not perfect. But it tells us that he's there to keep us from stumbling. Tells us that he wants to help us. 
We can look at this in a couple different ways. This tells me that my relationship with Jesus Christ, my true covenant, heartfelt relationship with Jesus Christ can never be taken away. If he's there to keep me from stumbling, why would I ever lose it? Listen to what Romans 8, 38 and 39 says. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Nothing can keep us from that love. That love is so powerful that he desires to keep us from stumbling. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that God will never leave us and God will never forsake us. John 10.10 says the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to give life and life more abundantly to keep us from stumbling. Um, Let's turn in our Bibles over to Luke, to a familiar passage. Luke 15, I'm just going to read a short portion of the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. Because I, I think this, this can really tie home about this God keeping us from stumbling. Luke 15, 17 is where we'll start. We'll end up in 24. This is what it says. These are the words of Jesus. But when he came to himself, the prodigal son, l- let me stop. Let me back up. Prodigal son, right, comes to his dad, says, give me my inheritance. He was the second son, so it was some money, but it wasn't that much. This was very um, uncommon in Jewish tradition. Usually you either killed your dad or waited for your dad to die um, to get this. But he, he was pretty arrogant and said, give me what I'm, I'm due. I'm going to go squander it. And so he goes, um, booze and brothels, and he buys his friends, does all this kind of stuff. And um, he's come to the end of the rope. And so that's where we're at in verse 17. He's come to the end of his rope, and this is what it says. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. We're we're all in some way like this son. We're selfish. We only want what is for ourselves. But, But the good thing is, is that if we know Jesus and we love Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a father who's waiting. And that, that's the point that I really want us to get, is that he keeps us from stumbling, but also if we stumble, he's there waiting to come back home. His irresistible draw, that grace that, that is beyond compare, that is matchless, is always tugging at our heart to come back home. 
How do we do this? For some, this is easy. I think there's some of us, um, maybe beyond your years, but uh, just as we naturally progress, as we get older, this may become a little easier that, that stumbling isn't so often. But for some of us young guys that put our foot in our mouth, that um, don't really know the ins and outs of marriage, that think we know more than what we do, me, this is hard. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for the affirmation. I appreciate it. This is hard. But, but, but I, can, I can trust and I can rely on the fact that I have a God who desires to keep me from stumbling. So that means that he's laid out some things. That if I love him and I follow him and I desire to live for his glory, he keeps me from stumbling. Well, you know, we can never lose a genuine, heartfelt, covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. But we can make it difficult. We can make it very difficult when we try to pursue our, our own sinful desires. When, when we say that, that, that we live by the flesh and, and we, we decide not to live by the Spirit. We must strive hard for Jesus and his glory. We must run headlong towards that. We must seek truth and holiness and righteousness. These are the things, um, the, the step-by-step things that Jesus offers to keep us from stumbling. So he's able to keep us from stumbling so that he could present us blameless. So let's look at 24b, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The, the theological term for this is imputed righteousness. Can, on the count of three, let's say that together. One, two, three. Imputed righteousness, okay? Or justification, but I like saying imputed righteousness, because I'm not very good at math or science, but it's a big word, and so it kind of makes me look good. Um, and imputed. 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 That just sounds wonderful. Go to school um, next time, kids. You get in trouble, okay? Blame it on your friend. Have them take the blame. That's imputed righteousness, all right? And tell your, tell your teacher, impute my, my, my punishment on him. Impute his righteousness on me. You'll get an A. Um, you can thank me later. But he, he, he wants to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Be, because of what Jesus did on the cross, be, because of his sacrifice, be, because that he was so abandoned to the will and the glory of the Father, we get his righteousness. When we accept him, we accept that sacrifice and we say, Jesus, come and live in my life and I want to be a follower of you. We get that. His righteousness is put upon us. When God looks down, he doesn't see dirty old me, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are justified by the death of Jesus Christ. We're made blameless. I just, I, as I was writing this, I just kept thinking it over and over again. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me, but he sees Jesus. He's the mediator, the in-betweener. He stands in the gap to say, because of the sacrifice, you're made clean. You're made blameless. Um, Chuck Swindoll tells a story of a seminary student who was looking for a job. And, you know, um, he really wanted a job in a church, but he couldn't find one. So... He settled for driving a bus on Chicago's south side. Yeah, 
Um, and one day while he was driving, a, a gang got on his bus, and um, they didn't pay. But they were strong, and they were young, and what he, what he was going to do, I, he just he let them go. So for a couple weeks, this happened. They kept getting on, not paying. One day, they were driving, and they got on this corner, and the next corner, there was a cop. So he stopped, told the cop what was going on. The cop made him get off, made him pay. Well, around the next corner, they hurried up. They got on the bus, and they beat him up. Beat him up really bad, actually. Put him in the hospital. And, and when it was time um, to, to come to court um, in the, the seminary student press charges, um, they, of, co- of course, were found guilty. But all of a sudden, he kind of had an epiphany. He, God spoke to him, and, and he, he told the judge, I'll take their sentence. I'll go to jail for them. I, I will write their wrong. Okay? The judge looks at him like, are you crazy? And all these kids are looking at him like, are you, are you crazy? Are you nuts? And, and of course, the judge did not allow this to happen. But, but this shows us just a, a great example of what Jesus Christ did for us. The minute we're born, we're dirty and filthy. Now, there's a lot of babies in here, and they're really cute. Don't get me wrong, and they're precious. I love them. But they're evil. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm serious, man. Um, they're evil, um, and as we grow older, we get a little more evil every year. But babies are evil, man. They wake you up at 3 in the morning. What a jerk. <laughs> um, and yes, I enjoy not having kids right now, just in case you're wondering. But seriously, we're born with sin. We're born into sin. And so when we come to the age where we recognize that Jesus made a sacrifice for us and that we need it more than we need anything else, he says, okay, I'll give you that. Here's my righteousness for your sin, the best exchange that you could ever get. But how, how do we put legs on that? How do we apply this in our life? How, how do we um, kind of make imputed righteousness or justification? How do we make it practical in our own life. Listen to what Martin Luther, he wrote this little poem. It says this, I do not come because my soul is free from sin and pure and whole and worthy of thy grace. I do not speak to thee because I have ever justly kept thy laws and dare to meet thy face. I know that sin and guilt combine to reign o'er every thought of mine and turn from good to ill. I know that when I try to be upright and just and true to thee, I am a sinner still. I know that often when I strive to keep a spark of love alive for thee, the powers within leap up in unsubmissive might and oft benumb my sense of right and pull me back to sin. I know that though in doing good I spend my life, I never could atone for all I've done. But though my sins are black as night, I dare to come before thy sight because I trust thy son. In him alone my trust I place. Come boldly to thy throne of grace and there commune with thee. Salvation sure, O Lord, is mine, and all unworthy I am thine, for Jesus died for me. This is what we got to realize, that yes, that righteousness is ours, but we had nothing to do with it. We had nothing to do with the situation that Jesus made. It was the will of the Father. It was for the glory of the Father. 
that he made that decision. We have to realize that it is absolutely no way possible about you or me. Because if we desire to live for God's glory, our will has to be totally out of the picture. My, my glory-thieving, glory-mongering life, the desires that I want to be known and to have things, cannot be the number one thing in my life. It can't be there. I have to constantly pursue the righteousness of Jesus Christ and say, you are number one. We must rejoice in the fact that he can and will present us blameless before the presence of, of his glory with great joy. The, and the, that little two words right there, three words, with great joy, man, it, it makes Jesus happy that, that, that we um, are blameless. It makes him happy. It puts a smile on his face, joy in his heart that we have chosen him. We can see from our text that it's a great joy to God that he gets to present us blameless because that's just another thing that we can attest to his greatness for his glory. So I've kind of been building up. God keeps us blameless, keeps us from stumbling. He presents us blameless. But, but here's, I really want to hit home on. God is glorious. Plain and simple. I, I, I really... I don't know if we ever will, but I hope we can get back to a day where words have um, an immense power on the soul to where maybe all I would have to do is walk up here and say, God is glorious. And you would go, oh, he is. I understand that. But in today when semantics and, and, and interpretation just runs rampant, we, we got to explain things a little bit. So... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. God, because he is God, and on that basis alone, is worthy of our glory. God, because he is God, just because he is God, not for anything that he's done, will do or has done. But just right now, what I'm saying is the, the fact that God is God is glorious. Imagine that he never sent his son to die. Imagine that he never gave you the breath of life. Imagine that you have no money in your bank. Imagine that, that you're destitute, stripped down. You have nothing. The fact that God is God makes him Glorious. John Piper says this, when God says he made us for his glory, he does not mean he made us so that he could become more glorious in himself. Instead, what it means is that he created us to display his glory. That is, glory, his glory might be known and be praised. We are objects of the Father's glory, ambassadors entrusted with displaying his glory. I see it as you got two options. You can submit to God, love him, pursue his glory, or you can be an object of just wrath. Hell is real. It's certain. Death is certain. Um, 
but, but I think God in his infinite wisdom figured out hell does not produce worshipers, okay? If all we heard was hell, 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 you're going to hell, you're going to hell, it'd be really hard to sing those great songs, right? But it's still there. He's a just God, and he can't allow me and all my sin to come into his presence. He can't allow me wanting to take the glory from him, to knock him out of his place, and to sit there. He can't allow me into his presence. But through grace, by faith, in Jesus Christ and what he did, I can take that, and I'm blameless, and therefore become an object of his glory instead of an object of his wrath. We need to see that today. Um, let's, let's flip over to Psalm 115. It'll be almost directly in the middle of your Bible. We all know that David could write, man. He, uh, he knew the weight of words and how to use them. The Lord just blessed him. And, and, and he really just, um, he really hammered home to me here. Um, about the glory of God. So Psalm 115, we're going to read the whole thing. This is what it says. Verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into the silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. No one else is worthy of the glory that God deserves. David just very clearly goes out and he tells um, the, the, those people, the, those pagans, the, the people that, that built idols, they got mouths but they don't speak. They, they have ears but they don't hear. They have eyes but they don't see. Why would you spend your time on this, this idol when I have a God who is worthy, who blesses me, who loves me? Who keeps me. There's none who can compare to the worthiness of God for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. All glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, is what Jude says. He is worthy. He is worthy of everything that we can give him. I don't know, this has just been real heavy on my heart in the last couple of months because it's, it's, it's like, if we can get this, God's glory, living for his glory, desiring his glory, 
striving for his glory. If we can get that up there as number one, I guarantee you other priorities are just going to fall into place. Because when you're living for his glory, you're not going to be selfish. And when you're living for his glory, you're going to love others. And when you're living for his glory, you're not going to be living for yourself. See, this is the purpose for which we were created. This is why we were, we, that God saw fit that he needed, that he was lonely and needed man. is to live for his glory. This is sometimes hard because it makes God sound like he's an egotistical jerk. It's all about me. King of the castle, king of the castle, you know? But it's not. Our finite minds cannot wrap around the infinite concept that God is worthy. That's something that we just have to to continually submit ourselves to every day. God is worthy. Not because of anything I say or anything we sing about. Because his word tells us and he proves it over and over again. Let's uh, flip real quick to Matthew um, if I can't convince you of this, uh, maybe Jesus can. Matthew 26. I thought about this the other night. Kim and I were watching, um, for some reason, watching The Passion of the Christ. Hadn't watched in a long time. Um, that opening scene where Jesus is praying in the garden. Um, it, it shed a new light. I was past the shock of the movie. You know, the shock has come and gone and, and really got to sit down and watch it um, from a biblical standpoint. And it, it's pretty good, um, closely related to Scripture. But, but as Jesus was sitting there praying, Matthew 26, 39, says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it hit me. It hit me right there as I was watching the movie. Kim was snoring. um, And it hit me. Jesus' number one goal was not the cross. It was not my redemption. It was not your redemption. Jesus' number one goal was the glory of the Father. Was that Jesus would be lifted up above men so his Father would be known. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he forgave our sins and forgives our sins. That's why he arose three days later. For the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father cost Jesus his life. Do you, do you see that? Not my will, but your will. That's saying, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want any glory from this. I don't want it at all. But I want you. It's pretty plain and clear. So I've got a couple questions to ask you as Matt and the band um, come back up. First question, are... Where are you? Are you you living for his glory? (laughs) 
<laughs> is it something you even think about on a day-to-day basis? Or do you think that, that we're still caught in the law? That there's these rules and regulations that we have to check off and make sure that we do? Came to church, check. Read my Bible, check. Helped the old lady across the street, check. Have you made his glory the number one thing in your life? Because I, I, I promise you, searching through scripture, looking at this, I promise you, if you make this, if you do this, other things are going to fall into place. It's hard. It requires discipline. It requires a desire for the Lord, for his word. My favorite quote from John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's the heart of scripture. If we look at scripture, he's saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we are satisfied with Jesus, when we love Jesus, when we desire Jesus, when we move towards Jesus, things are gonna be okay. They're not gonna be great all the time. They're not gonna be perfect, but they're gonna be okay because God's glory is lifted up. This morning, I, I think there's three type of people here. First, you don't, you're really kind of confused what I'm even talking about. What's God's glory? Who is God? Who's Jesus? Why are you talking about him? Why are you getting excited about him? Why are you yelling at me? As we saw in Jude 25 that he keeps us from stumbling, maybe this morning you haven't even given him the chance to keep you from stumbling. Maybe you haven't even um, recognized that he can keep you from stumbling. Maybe you, 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 you have an attitude that, that is so prevalent in our society today that you can take things on. Anything life throws at you, you can do it. Give him a chance. Jesus, Jesus wants you. He desires you. He draws us. So this morning, um, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Maybe this morning that odd feeling in your stomach is not the indigestion from this weekend's eating but maybe it's conviction. Maybe it's the, the tug and the, the pull of that irresistible grace of Jesus Christ. Find out about them this morning. There's, there's another group of us in here, some of us that can't simply accept the fact that he desires to present us blameless. You've accepted Jesus. You said, I want to live for you. I want to love you. I want to do your will but you can't get over some past sins. I'm too bad, I did this, he can't accept me. Here's three things, okay? Real blunt, Jesus did it, accept it, get over it, live for his glory. He did it on the cross, he finished it. Your sin is washed away the moment you accept him and decide to live for him, it's done, it's over. That's what he said, it's finished on the cross. Accept it this morning. Get over it and start living for him. There's a third group. 
that, you, that, that you're like, you know what? Yeah, I know Jesus. I've accepted what he's done. I'm, I'm thankful. And I know that he can present me blameless. But living for his glory is a hard thing. There's some of you that, that may have it down a little bit better than, than the others of us. So pray for us. Encourage us. I'll tell you what. It was really good to be back here this morning. Unexpected things. But I want you to know that a life not lived for the glory of the Father is not a life fulfilled. You can have houses and money and cars and, and friends and collections of books and, and all these things that you deem necessary for your happiness. But it's all nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. It's a fact. Check it out. Read it in the book. So as we sing this morning, I don't know, maybe you got some dealing to do. Maybe you got some decisions to be made. Find a member of the leadership team. Find a dear close friend. Grab him and say, man, let's pray. Talk to someone afterwards. You feel that tug, that irresistible draw of Jesus saying it's time to live for me. It's a process. It won't happen overnight. It's never easy. But in the end, it's so worth it. So let's pray and then we'll sing. And if you got some decisions to make, make them this morning. Don't wait. Jesus, um, The words of the song, I fall face down and your glory surrounds me um, and just keep coming to my mind. That maybe not physically, but, but hypothetically in our lives, we need to do that a little more often. That we need to fall on our face and let your glory surround us. Submit to your glory, to know your glory, to love your glory, because it is all that we have. It is the pinnacle of our existence. Move in our hearts this morning, Spirit. Come and work. Draw us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let